May is Mental Health Awareness Month, which means that basically everyone everywhere is talking about mental health, which in and of itself is a good thing, of course. But it isn't very often that someone says anything new or different, really. It really seems like everybody regurgitates the same thing. But a few weeks ago, I heard a speaker use the term mental fitness. It's been rolling around in my head ever since then, and that's what I want to unpack with you today. So let's dive in. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Eva Miller. As a domestic violence survivor turned life and wellness coach, I'm here to help you fully know your value, reclaim your power, and boldly create the life you love instead of living from someone else's script. So if you're feeling stuck and looking for help, or you just want to be reminded that it's okay to be your unique self in a conforming world, you're in the right place. Don't water down your wild. Step out of the race you never wanted to be in and forge your own path. Let's go. Hello, hello. You are listening to episode 36 of The Eva Show. I'm Eva Miller, and uh, yeah, this is my show. (laughs) I appreciate you tuning in. Mental fitness. That term immediately has a way of prompting me to view mental health in a new light. And the person that I heard say it pointed out that it speaks to a process, something that's ongoing, the struggle of good days and bad days. And he said he feels that it helps us to manage hard things better. And I really believe we need that because I think people hear the term mental health and it seems like there's a tendency to think strictly about like mood or personality disorders or things like that. But I feel like the term mental fitness allows for a broader umbrella and more nuances, and that seems a lot more appropriate. To me, the term mental fitness is a a forward-facing concept, whereas the term mental health, I mean, it's not necessarily backward-facing, but it feels so compartmentalized compared to the term mental fitness. It feels like calling it mental health is sort of like it's in a box or something, kind of separate somehow from our physical health. But The thing is, we're whole people, and almost everything in our body has an effect of at least some kind on something else in the body, right? Like, people who are depressed typically have more physical ailments than people who aren't, and people with certain physical challenges often have specific emotional issues that accompany them. It's it's like spaghetti on a plate. Everything's, Everything's touching everything else. And we may have different ways of supporting ourselves mentally as compared to physically, but focusing on only one aspect, like working out, while ignoring something else you need to do, like maybe your nutrition or how to have a calmer nervous system, that's like doing a jigsaw puzzle and not putting all the pieces together. It's incomplete and it's going to keep you out of balance. You know, physical fitness and the need for it has always been popular and widely accepted. Like, we all know that cardio improves our endurance. We all know lifting heavy weights makes you stronger. And we all know stretching improves your flexibility, your mobility, and it reverses damage that's caused by sitting all day and and the way we bend our necks to use our devices. But mental fitness, just like a physical fitness journey, involves making a decision, being determined, being committed, there's some pain involved. And the same struggle to show yourself grace and compassion is there just like it is with a physical, like trying to work out more. 
And the concept of self-care has it's been around for a while, but sometimes it really just seems if you look around, like self-care has been reduced to just getting a mani-pedi or taking a long hot bath or getting a massage every now and then. And those things are great. There's nothing wrong with them. Like your nails need to be cared for. You got to trim them, got to be filed, whatever, right? But it seems like real self-care is still largely ignored or it's brushed aside almost like it's a type of luxury instead of viewing it as the necessity that it actually is. Because very few people are talking about or are even aware of their nervous system and how the fact that we're always in overdrive. We feel it, but we don't necessarily identify what we feel. And a lot of people have made being busy and stressed out or not getting much rest or not sleeping enough or getting much downtime, they, they act almost like there's going to be some kind of an award or there's a badge of honor for that. Like, yeah, I only slept four hours last night. You know, somebody else might be like, oh, it must be nice. I only slept three. Like, it's not a contest. And, and people will almost brag about how crappy they take care of themselves when they say things like, oh, yeah, I don't ever sleep more than five hours. Well, okay, die faster then. But more importantly, where did the idea even come from that resting or slowing down equates with being lazy or that downtime and rest and slowing down has to be earned? Cortisol is a stress hormone, and cortisol levels of the people in this country, in America, are at an all-time high. We're exhausted, we're overworked, we're overstimulated, and if you're a parent of little kids, you're probably touched out and talked out. Am I right? But yet, despite all of that, we still have convinced ourselves that we have to do all of the things, all of the time, and we have to do them all perfectly. We're hurting ourselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sicker and I'll probably die sooner, but you know, it's, it's fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. Like, that's the kind of attitude we have. But I think it's time that we own up to the ways we sabotage ourselves and that we feed the very frenzy we claim to dislike. Have you ever noticed that anytime somebody unplugs, like if they say they're going away for the weekend and they're not going to have service or they're not taking their phone or whatever, or when they go on vacation, or maybe they just, you know, gave up social media for Lent or something. Have you ever noticed nobody ever comes back and talks about how stressful it was? They always come back talking about how great it was or how calm or peaceful they felt. And then they turn right around and go back to the same bullshit hustle they were doing before they unplugged. People are so busy, but that busyness hasn't made them happier or healthier. It hasn't made them calmer or feeling more at peace. And so what are they doing? They're basically running in circles, right? Because they're not going anywhere. So what does mental fitness look like? And what are some ways we can improve it? I know there are probably several, but I made a list of a few to share with you. And what I love is that I realized as I was looking over this list, all of them hold space for your brain to explore and stretch its legs. And the lives we lead, like we feel like our brains are stretched, but not always in a good way, right? So first on the list is meditating. Taking five minutes 
once or twice a day to disengage from the drama, the hustle, and the stress, to literally only sit and breathe. What about that sounds like it won't actually help somehow? Like, will that five minutes really have a negative effect? And if you've never tried it, how do you even know? Have you ever considered the possibility that prioritizing five minutes to sit and reset yourself could maybe make things infinitely better? And maybe there's something beyond that five minutes over time that you don't know or can't even imagine because you've never tried it for more than a day or two. I mean, okay, how much time do you spend scrolling on social media? Could you allot five or ten of those minutes to try something new on and see how it fits and how it makes you feel? Then there's reading. Getting lost in a book is great for you. If you only read for pleasure, you're still expanding and feeding your imagination and your comprehension and your creativity. And reading a good book, I'm, I'm not talking about like the book you have to read for work or to can continue your education or for some type of new knowledge you're trying to acquire. I'm talking about just actual pleasure reading. That's actually really comforting and calming. And if you are a person who's like, oh, every time I sit down to read, I fall asleep. Good. You probably need it. Your body finally was like, ah, oh. how about drawing or coloring or crafting? You know, if all you do is grab a, a coloring book and make the picture prettier by filling it in with crayons or colored pencils or markers or whatever, how is that not a good thing? Maybe you're not in a season of your life where you can devote the time to build or craft something from scratch, but even something as simple as drawing or coloring, putting beauty on a piece of paper, that's a side of you that deserves some attention. What about limiting social media? Set a timer. You know what you need and what you don't need. Then there's writing. Writing can be really creative and it can be really cathartic. You can journal, you can write poetry. And, you know, if you spend some time to write about whatever's bothering you, that can be a really great way to release some pent up energy and emotions. How about evaluating which social functions you actually need to attend? Nature is amazing. We all know that. But nature does something for us in ways that we don't always recognize or think about. Flowers are pretty, but they don't bloom in different colors and they don't give off a scent for themselves. They're not running around looking at themselves and smelling them. They're not picking them and taking them home. Trees don't bloom or give fruit for themselves to eat. Sunrises and sunsets, they don't admire themselves. Oceans and mountains don't inspire themselves. But nature does all of that for us. You ever... You think about those sleep machines that those, you know, people play. Like, have you ever noticed? They only have sounds of things that are like nature where you can hear crickets chirping or the ocean waves coming in and out, that kind of thing. You can hear the wind. Maybe you hear rain. Do you know what they don't play? The sounds of the city. I mean, there might be somebody out there who thinks that's calming. There might be a sleep machine for somebody like that, but you generally... Nobody is playing the sound of a city with cars honking and people screaming and gunshots being fired on their sleep machine. And it's because that's not where we slow down and find peace and rest. 
Maybe you need to evaluate the relationships that leave you feeling negatively. Maybe you need to drink more water. I mean, like your body's big part of it is water. So drinking more will only help. How about multitasking is more taxing than you realize. And if you focus on one thing at a time, that's easier. How about you stop pretending you don't have any needs too? What about playing? Play hide and seek. Go play tag with your kids. If you don't have any kids, borrow some. I bet somebody would be glad to let you use theirs. How about going for a run? Some people think that's fun. (laughs) There are people who think that's relaxing or they like that. Okay, great. If you can't run though, go for a walk. How about you play cornhole or volleyball? Just play anything. Just do something that feels like play to you. Something fun. It's easier than eating vegetables and it's just as good for you. And the last thing on my list is floating. I have a float center near me. And if you're not familiar, you go into a private room. Um, you, you go there for sensory deprivation. So you go into this private room, you take a shower, wash your hair, and then you get in this big tank of salt water. And the water, it's like 10 inches deep. It's heated to skin temperature and you close the lid. I'm claustrophobic, but these tanks are big. But there's so much salt in that water that you don't sink. You float. And you've got earplugs in and you can turn off the light. That's ideal. You don't have to if you're scared of the dark. But for like an hour or an hour and a half, you don't see, hear, or feel anything. It's dark and it's quiet. And, you know, then when the time's up, you can just get out and go take a shower and go on. And the first time I went, it was a one-hour float. But it took me like half an hour, literally, to calm down enough to even appreciate the silence. I had keyed myself up because I was anxious about whether or not I was going to, you know, feel that the tank was too closed in and that kind of thing. And it felt really weird to be in there and hear and see nothing during the day, which is weird because even though those are my goals every single night when I go to bed, it was a little unnerving. Like at night, I wear an eye mask to keep the light out and I have a fan on to block out random noises that might wake me up. But it still was a little unsettling that first time. And so to be honest, I didn't walk out of there feeling very relaxed. But I went back another time and it was a little better. And I went back again and it was even better. And now I crave going. And I I make plans to go in between the times of getting my hair highlighted because I don't want the color to all run out. But it's peaceful and it's calming to get in there. Now it's like soothing and I look forward to it. You know, I, I get in there and I have to work at like blocking all the incoming thoughts because I'm always thinking something and I just breathe. In fact, the breathing is what gets me settled because I focus on the sound of it in my head and feeling the rise and the fall of my chest. So I wasn't good at floating at first, but you know, the first time I went to the gym, the first few times I wasn't good at using the machines either. And I wasn't particularly strong the first time I started lifting weights, but starting to become mentally fit and realizing there are some situations where you need more training is really not any different than, let's say you go to the gym 20 times and you're starting to feel confident, and then you pick up a 40-pound kettlebell and discover you're not strong enough yet. Like, strength just needs to be improved by spending more time swinging the 10-pound kettlebell, and then the 20, and the 25, and the 30. But not being good at fitness in the beginning doesn't mean you're never going to be. But 
Can you learn to honor yourself where you are at right now in the learning curve of life? Because like, it's not like the doctor gave your mom an instruction manual for you when you were born. It's up to you to determine what's good for you and what stresses you. Some stress is okay, but too much or too much too soon, that's not okay. And you have to determine that. You know, in the last episode, I mentioned that I was in a group and that I had decided to leave it. And it took me, you know, I reevaluated that and left. And I sort of glossed over it in that episode, but that whole situation was actually on the front burner of my mind for literally weeks. It's a blip on the radar now, but for a while it was huge and it took up a lot of headspace. But now on the other side of it, I feel freer and lighter. And I've noticed that it has enabled me to work through some other things that feel really big a little faster. So now what? Maybe the term mental fitness isn't new to you, but if it is, in just the last 15-ish minutes that we've been exploring this today, does it prompt you to consider the merit of changing the way you look at quote-unquote mental health or changing anything that you're doing? Because, you know, if you needed physical help with something, let's say you wanted to lose 40 pounds or you needed to change your diet because you had a diagnosis of something like diabetes or something, you'd probably consider hiring a nutritionist or a personal trainer. You know, if you wanted to run a marathon, you would download an app. Maybe you'd hire a trainer for that. And if you wanted to learn a new sport, you'd take lessons for that, right? Why wouldn't you do the same thing for your mental fitness? Like, why can't you seek out someone to help you with that? Or maybe not someone, but something depends on what your needs are. Because What's the cost of continuing to ignore your needs and stumbling around trying to figure it out all by yourself? It's not frivolous to get help. Getting help is actually profitable because then you're going to be a lot further along in your journey. And, you know, if you're worried about hiring someone and it's not a good fit, that's okay. As long as you stay committed to moving and facing forward, even if you went through five trainers, before you found the one you gelled with, that's okay because your mental fitness is a marathon, not a sprint. And your overall happiness and life satisfaction are worthy of this pursuit. Okay, my time is up. Thanks for listening. If you loved this episode, would you please consider leaving a rating and a review? The ratings are great, but those reviews, just a line or two of why you like this podcast why you listen is really helpful to grow the podcast because people read those and that's how they decide if they want to listen to the show. I'd be forever grateful. I'll be back next week. Ciao. Okay, that's all I've got for you this time. If you want to see if my coaching program can help you, you can set up a Blue Skies call with me to learn more. It's free. I am not high pressure. I'm not going to badger you. We just have a conversation. You tell me the things you need, what you're looking for, and I tell you what I do to help people and how my program might work with you. If they match up, great. If they don't, all you've lost is an hour of your time. Link is in the show notes. Talk to you next week.